This is an ABC podcast. Bruce Shapiro, uh, Exec Director of the Dart Centre, Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. Back to the clown car. Let's begin with the first uh, <laughs> televised Republican debate. All the candidates were there with a conspicuous absentee. It was a bit of a shout fest, Bruce. Well, it, it certainly was. And look, let, let's start with the one headline item out of this, which really matters, which is that when one of the uh, Fox News interlocutors asked the assembled horde of GOP nominees if they would support Donald Trump, were he the party's nominee, even if he were convicted in federal and state court on one or more of the four uh, sets of charges that have been brought against him, all but two of the Republican nominees raised their hands. The honor roll of two who said they would uphold the Constitution were Chris Christie of of New Jersey and uh, former Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. Both, it should be noted, Uh, conservatives, but both of them former federal prosecutors. Uh, The rest of them, who span the ideological spectrum of many other issues, simply folded their cards in the face of the Trump electorate juggernaut. Whether that holds, who knows, but that tells you really the most important thing you need to know about. Bruce, let's let's raise a couple of issues. Support for the Ukraine war. Uh, that was one of several issues which significantly divided um, the assembled Republicans. Um, on the one hand, you had you might think of as traditional national security Republicans, Nikki Haley, uh, former governor of uh, South Carolina, uh, most forcefully arguing that the support for Ukraine is crucial, that a Ukraine, that a Russia-China alliance was really destabilizing, and if you uh, can't defend Ukraine against Russia, you won't be able to defend Taiwan, and kind of taking a very strong interventionist, you might say traditional Republican posture. And on the far side of the equation, um, you had uh, Governor DeSantis, but also most vociferously uh, the newcomer on stage, uh, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, taking um, essentially a Trumpist, isolationist, America first position, saying we should be uh, using troops to defend our border to the south, not sending them um, overseas to to Ukraine. This was a um, one of several pronounced fractures in the Republican agenda. Let me raise another subject, abortion. This too. Um, you know, you had a number of candidates, uh, again, DeSantis, um, the majority of them, you know, so Mike Pence, the former vice president, saying, oh, yes, we support a federal ban on abortion. And Nikki Haley, again, seeming to speak not to a Republican primary base, but to a broader Republican Party and indeed a broader electorate that includes independent voters saying, well, I'm pro-life, but let's stop lying to the American people. You're never going to get a federal abortion ban through the Senate. Let's stop wasting our time. She also, interestingly, 
um, talked about the uh, importance of contraceptive availability of healthcare services for women. She was trying to, within the context of a of of an anti-abortion Republican Party, trying to carve out a position that would be more appealing in the long run. It will not do her any good um, in the primary, I should say, if that is if current and recent voting patterns repeat themselves. But it was quite striking and showed her ability to give a sharp elbow to the far right of the party. In our next story tonight, we'll be looking at climate change. How did that play out? Uh, With massive evasion. Again, interesting question from um, one of the Fox News hosts who said, do you believe human humans cause climate change and most of the folks on stage never got to answer the question because uh, Vivek Ramaswamy again playing the role of um, provocateur court jester pro wrestling eye poker said well yeah my generation cares about climate change he's a younger guy right but um, most he made the fact-free assertion that uh, most climate change interventions actually make the problem worse. Right, that was where the 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 center of gravity on the panel was. Again, Nikki Haley tried to carve out a little different terrain on that. So did Chris Christie. Um, mo- they mostly evaded the question. And of course, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who has the biggest numbers in the current primary field after President Trump, was going to then head back to Florida, a state now, as we speak, facing down a major hurricane. Um, So climate change did not do so well as an issue uh, in this Republican field. Now, Donald Trump didn't get the memo, so he wasn't there. How did they uh, deal with this? Well, here again, the, you know, the big question was, well, if this guy is convicted but becomes the nominee, will you support him? Um, but you also had a range of fealty being expressed. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy bending over backwards as if he had made a, a bet with his dorm pals in college saying, if, hey, if I can only say the right things, I'll get to be Donald Trump's vice president. Um, you know, he went out of the way to call Trump the greatest president of the 21st century, and he can be even I'm better sorry, than Trump. I'm sorry, would you please stop for a minute while I absorb that? <laughs> that uh, wow. You know, yeah, you know, that was, that he was clearly trying for the the, the the fragment of the Republican electorate, for, for the core of Trump's support, Vivek understands, I think, that for that core of Trump's support, the main value is entertainment, is that pro-wrestling eye poke, um, very different from the kind of technocratic fascism, let's say, of Ron DeSantis. Um, he doesn't, Vivek, that Ramaswamy will contradict his own statements in his book published a few months ago, at that time criticizing Trump on January 6th. He can put out counterfactuals about the environment. It doesn't matter. It's all about creating an entertaining atmosphere, which he did and which will last probably, you know, some months into this in, into this primary process. Who knows? He may end up as Trump's VP if Trump gets the, uh, the nomination. But um, then you also had... Uh, Chris Christie from New Jersey, most forcefully, and also Asa Hutchinson, um, carving out a very different position. And Mike Pence, um, 
quite forcefully, actually, surprising with surprising force, um, defending his own stance on January 6th, his refusal to take uh, Donald Trump's orders and you know refuse to certify the the the. 2020 election. Um, and it was interesting to hear Chris Christie running against Mike Pence, among others, uh, say Mike Pence should be applauded for his principled stand on that day. Um, so you had, on the one hand, you had the candidates all arguing about history, the history of, of January 6th, the history of the 2020 election the present-day reality of a leader of their pack who is indicted in four separate cases with the first trial date now set for the second trial, the first trial date now actually in federal courts set for March, right before the uh, Super Tuesday primary. Um, and then you had folks talking about the future and whether Trumpism uh, has a future in electing an ex-president, or as Christie and Hutchinson and Nikki Haley argued, it will lead the party um, further down the road of electoral disaster as it has in every election since 2018. Let's head to Florida now. DeSantis uh, got less than uh, a friendly greeting after attending the uh, the site where three black Americans were murdered in Jacksonville. What happened, Bruce? Well, this is, you know, a, a profoundly mentally ill, uh, but also profoundly racist individual um, killed three people in a shop not far from a historically black college, Florida's oldest historically black college, and that had swastikas on his guns and had left behind a racist screed and all of this. DeSantis shows up and he is booed. Why is he booed? Because as governor of Florida... The main political point he's tried to push over and over again is to get the history of racism and the history of race in America out of Florida's public schools, to ban the teaching of, of African-American history to high school seniors in advanced placement classes, to push against what he calls woke culture. It's been a culture war against the, the memory of racism in Florida, which has driven his campaign. And in a city which, in, in Jacksonville, the state capital, which uh, not only has experienced this, this horrific triple murder, but a series of other racist incidents over the last couple of years, this did not go down well. And so you had actually um, someone in the crowd um, speak up on DeSantis's behalf and say, let's put politics aside for now. But the reality is that this guy who wants to be president, in fact, is dividing his own state when the black community there is under concerted attack by people finding aid and comfort in the language that he himself is framing. And it's 60 years since uh, Martin Luther King's uh, declaration of I have a dream. Indeed, uh, just yesterday, the 60th anniversary of the March for Jobs and Freedom. And it, it seems singularly important to remember right now at this moment when the United States is awash in arguments over wokeness and, <clears throat> and the history of racial, viol racial violence and all this, that 
while we remember that 1963 march, understandably, for King's profound invocation of human unity, it actually was a much more radical march than that. It had been was organized and framed by A. Philip Randolph, great black trade union leader who started out his work with a brotherhood of sleeping car porters. And it, he had called most famously in that, in that um, march and in all of his work for a deep reconsideration of the American social contract far beyond simply i have a dream i mean he you know he said the sanctity of private property takes second place to the sanctity of human personality and he said and this was framed the march as profoundly as king's remarks it falls to the negro to reassert the proper priority of values because our ancestors were transformed from human personalities into private property. And so it was a march for full employment, for minimum wage, which there was no federal minimum wage then, a march for Medicare, right? It was about an, a, a, an intellectually integrated social justice vision backed by years of protest not a simple, gee, can't we all get along integrationism. And none of this came up in the debate, presumably. <laughs> Clearly not. Um, neither, neither Dr. King, his speech, the march, nor certainly the, the reminder that when we're talking about racism in America, we're really also talking about the broader social contract, social equity, economic justice was nowhere on the agenda. And yet it, it seems um, relevant at a time when, when this is how some version of this division is the most profound um, divide. Bruce, we've got to wind Democratic up. Electorates. Thanks as ever. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.